Welcome to the Comics Course, a podcast offering by Miskatonic University's Remote Education Program, offering Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History. I am your Professor Hamby, accompanied by my TA, Rowan. Say hello, Rowan. Hello, Rowan. If you have comments or questions, I'm on Twitter as Prof Hamby. That is P-R-O-F-H-A-M-B-Y. Let's get class started. Class is in session. Oh, it is. It, it has been a crazy week, folks. And I've been slammed. The Dean of Academics has this new initiative going. And apparently, I'm supposed to be standing in for my immediate boss, who last seen was on the run somewhere, perhaps in the Philippines. There were multiple reports of him in different places. Okay. Um, and Interpol and the FBI are hunting him. And he's still teaching his classes remotely, but he said he can't get, you know, his duties in terms of committees done. So that has to fall to me. That happens. I just, I didn't think that being hunted by the FBI and Interpol was justification for not getting your committee work done. Talk to talk to the school. Not me. I'm not a tenured professor. They don't care about what I think. So, I have been so slammed with that stuff that I have not been able to prepare for class. So I was talking with my ever-suffering TA here, Rowan, mm-hmm. and she has proposed two different topics that we're going to do this week. And we're going to start off with a manga one and why don't you explain what the topic is since you proposed it? Well, the way I saw it when we were sitting around was what are manga companies doing better for getting new readers than American comic book companies? And I think we can do that by looking at what's popular and discussing them a little bit. And let's just go ahead and get one, you know, elephant out of the room. You know, slap that pachyderm ass and get it moving. And that is the old uh, self-justification story of, oh, well, you know, kids will only read superhero comics. Well, independent publishers like Image and Dark Horse of A shown that's not true. Although you could argue that's unclear because our direct market system seems to appeal only to, you know, 40 plus year old white males. Well, that's an exaggeration. Uh, There are some 20 year old white males in there, too. And there are some women that read these comics. But, I mean, the audience is overwhelmingly, like, middle-aged white men. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like the Facebook problem. What do you do when your whole use, user population dies out? Mm-hmm. Which is heading that way, right? Mm-hmm. And, but when we look at the manga, they're not like that. So what I have here is a listing of the top manga franchises. We're not going to worry about sales of an individual Tonko Bon or collected graphic novel. Let's look at franchises. What is selling like hotcakes, regardless of the exact issue or collection? Just add them up all together. And this list is from a company called ICV2. Uh, They publish a lot of business information about geek-related industries, whether it's trading card games or, you know, D&D or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. So, we're going to go through the list. I'm more familiar with some of these than others. Mm-hmm. And I know that you're familiar with some of them, Ro. Yeah. 
and we'll talk about what they're doing right and what appeals and how that differs from the offerings of American companies. Now, there is a myth, another myth that I want to dispel. There's another elephant in the room whose pachydermic butt needs to, you know, get moving out. And that is the myth that Japanese comics are all creator-controlled. Mm-hmm. Now, it is different. Creators do have different rights in Japan. Uh, their law Because their laws are different. Shocking. And they do have more association of individual creators with titles. You know, if Attack on Titan, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, if its creator suddenly disappears into a wormhole, then the title's going to stop. Mm-hmm. Now, it may be that the publisher has the right to keep it going regardless. Mm-hmm. But... They don't. And that's a cultural thing. Uh, And it's not to say that if the uh, property weren't valuable enough that they might not change their mind. Although in some cases, the creators do actually own the properties and have control to carry it with them. After they retire or whatever. Uh, and, And there have been titles where creators have chosen new creative people to carry it on and things like that. So, again, let's not get distracted by edge cases. We're going to talk about this as a generalization. And as a generalization, uh, Japanese manga titles are published and distributed in anthologies. And the companies have a lot of influence over it. They may not exactly dictate what characters are put in a comic or how something is written. But they're going to have notes that need to be very carefully considered by the creative team. And if they're not, they're likely to not get published. And the degree to which a creator can ignore these notes has a very, very strong relationship with how popular they are. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you're the new guy on the block, you will follow the <clears throat> suggestions... While if you're a Rumiko Takahashi, you can tell them to go shove sandpaper up their ass. As she should. Uh, I don't think she does, because she seems like she's too nice a person for that. But she could. I mean, she could get away with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start. Uh, we're going to go from number 10 to number 1. And so at number 10, and I actually would have guessed this to be a little higher on the list, Spy X Family. I think the reason that it's a little bit lower is people have already gone out and bought it most of the time. That's true. Now, for those who don't know, uh, Spy X Family was already a popular manga series, which is why it got an anime run, but the anime blew up. People just loved it. And it followed the manga closely, so people really bought into the manga. However, it is a relatively young series. I think there's only about seven, maybe eight Tonko Bonds out of it so far. So seven. I just it's well, seven that we have here. Yeah. There might be another one that we haven't picked up yet. True. Um, but and, and there's individual issues past that. Mm-hmm. But what that means is that if you want to go grab it and binge it, there's a limited amount of material to get. Mm-hmm. Unlike something like, say, My Hero Academia where you could not only binge on the collected Tonkoban, you can also binge on huge amounts of the TV show, on side channel movies, on spin-off series, 
all kinds of other stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's a limited amount to binge. But after the anime came out, oh my lord, my Twitter feed. I, I see, I didn't even know the anime was out. And then one day I'm going through Twitter and I'm like, wow, suddenly something has hit the zeitgeist and every cosplay model on my feed has decided to do your forger. And, and then I found out the anime was out, and I was like, oh, now this makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and But that's part of the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, these are models who are doing pinup style work, mm -hmm. sometimes beyond pinup, you know, depending on the model. And they're going with what's popular. So seeing a whole bunch of them do this is a reflection of its popularity and is part of the feedback cycle. You know, they're not going to do something that people aren't going to recognize, but they also raise its visibility profile by doing it. Mm -hmm. And for those not familiar with Spy X Family, I don't think you could successfully argue that this is in any way, shape, or form a superhero title. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is set in a fictionalized version of the Cold War, where someone who is a uh, spy for a country that's a fictionalized version of West Germany, sneaks into East Germany to try to prevent war from breaking out. Mm -hmm. uh, because there's a target who is very much a war hawk and pro-military, and so he's supposed to get close to him and find out what his plans are and neutralize those plans if possible. Not assassinate. <coughs> Sorry. Wow, that was loud. You really should turn away from the mic before you do that, unless a facehugger is being expelled <laughs> while you do it. Like a facehugger got lost up your nasal passage, and you gotta send it out. Sorry. Holy moly. Okay. Um, I, I mean, in the timing, it does kind of sound sounded a little bit like a rifle shot, like somebody was about to get assassinated. And I was about to say... The target is not being assassinated because while he's the head of a movement, if he was killed, he'd just become a martyr. So they want to neutralize him as a threat without anyone being aware that this is happening. So it needs to be very much on the down low. And they send the premier spy who, in order to get close to his target, who is very much a recluse, one of the few things he ever does is come out to interact at events involving his children at a super elite school. Um, so the spy needs to create a family to position himself to meet the guy. He ends up adopting a child from what looks like a fairly corrupt orphanage. Um, and the child is actually younger than she claims to be. But she's a, secretly a telepath, a result of government experiments that can read people's mind. Mm -hmm. This is used for a comic effect. This whole thing is a comedy mm -hmm. with some dark elements at times. There's some black comedy here or there. Mm -hmm. And then he needs to recruit a wife and ends up recruiting a wife who's secretly an assassin who wants this for her own cover because she feel because she will be suspicious being a young woman without a relationship. Mm -hmm. And no one knows this except the daughter. Right. And... The spy doesn't know the assassin is an assassin. The assassin doesn't know the spy is a spy. Neither of them know that the daughter's a telepath. She's the only one who knows all the cards on the table. Right. And she's a little kid who's easily distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but wants the family to succeed because this is the best life she has had so far. Mm-hmm. Where before she's just been bounced around from house to house uh, as people return her to the orphanage because they find her creepy. Mm-hmm. It, and she is kind of creepy at times, but, you know, the, the pro spy and the assassin don't notice. They think she's a sweet little girl, mm-hmm. even though they do get frustrated with her at times. And then a dog becomes involved, who I won't spoil his role, but Bond is awesome. Yes. And none of this sounds even vaguely like a Western superhero title, Mm -hmm. which, according to Western superhero companies, is all that kids want to read. And yet, this is selling far more among their target age bracket than, say, you know, Justice League is. Mm Mm-hmm. So what do you think they're doing right that is drawing in your generation that, say, DC or Marvel isn't? Well, the first thing, and they say it's about basically everything, is you don't have to know 50 years of history. So when you hear Spider-Man, Superman, Wonder Woman, does this fill you with a kind of anticipated dread? Like, oh my god, how hard is this going to be to follow? Yes. Because when suddenly on page 7... You know, the rhino shows up and people go, oh, God, the rhino. You go. Who? Right. It doesn't carry any weight with you. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that is a problem. Um, and also the characters are just, they're visually more interesting. They're drawn very expressive. Mm-hmm. Now, something interesting has happened in Western art over the years and that the quality has gotten very high. Mm-hmm. Nobody can look at a comic artist like Jim Lee And not just be jealous. I mean, you don't even have to want to draw. You you just feel an inherent jealousy looking at this man's skill. Mm -hmm. But do you need that level of art, that expensive printing to enjoy a story? Because here we look at Spy X Family, which is line art with some shading, and it's perfectly popular. Mm -hmm. And the characters are very expressive. Which I always just love expressive art. I love being able to see what the characters are thinking without reading the bubble first. Right. And and I do think that Western comics have in a lot of ways become this field where people expect you to stop and re and reread it for the art, while I kind of think in manga people expect to reread it a little bit for the art, but also for the story. Mm-hmm. Um so, comedy, Cold War, Spies. Now, the next one up, I am i know the title. I've not read it because it just, it, it, it is not a title that trips my interest. But I know you're familiar with this. You've at least watched the anime and maybe read the manga. Toilet Bound Hanaku-kun. Mm. So tell me about this. My understand, I'll, well, I'll tell you what I know or, mm-hmm. or what I think I know. My understanding is that the title is A Misleading. Yes. Um, for those who don't know, Kun is a sort of uh, uh, title added, meaning boy with some connotations of cute. It's something you might say to like a cute high school boy or something. Mm-hmm. And that it is set in modern day contemporary Japan with supernatural elements. Mm-hmm. So, explain the premise and tell me how close I am. It is set in a school, and there, and there's sort of three primary main characters. So you meet the third one later on, but the first one you get introduced to is this girl. 
and she is obsessed with basically the boys in her class. And it's been a while since I've watched the anime. I haven't read the manga. I apologize if I get anything wrong. But at some point, she ends up going to the bathroom with this boy who died in it. For some reason, he died in the girl's bathroom. We don't know. Okay. And he's a supernatural ghost, and you figure out there are ghosts all over the school. And it's kind of her job to help him deal with the ghosts so they don't basically destroy the school and kill students. So Hanako-kun is a spirit who's bound in the bathroom. Yeah. Hence the toilet bound. bound. Mm-hmm. So he's moaning Myrtle. Yes. But Japanese. and Japanese moaning Myrtle. And kind of a pervert. Japanese moaning Myrtle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think A, it was implied in Harry Potter, the official text, and that's without even getting into the fan fiction. <laughs> Which, dear God, the moaning Myrtle fan fiction. I'd like to bleach my eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And so basically they have to go around and basically figure out what's wrong with the ghosts to turn them good. Which is a, a sort of plot trope that you see in a number of supernatural manga. Sorry. For those hearing that noise, Rowan is having trouble with her pop filter. We need to rearrange her mind. Yeah. Um, here's another interesting piece to me, of course, that in my experience... A lot, maybe to the point of being a majority of manga titles, are set in contemporary Japan. And also, a lot of the big ones are funny, like about Hanukkah-kun, one of the big parts is, yes, the supernatural aspect. But it's funny, the characters are always cracking jokes and being very expressive. Now, is this one of those where the style contemporarily shift to horror? No, it's pretty cutesy all throughout. Okay. Because there are some titles where I see that, where, you know, they jump back and forth in tone, depending on the pacing and need of the story at that point, which has to be done with a very delicate hand. You know you have a good writer and artist when they can pull that off. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The artist is great at doing these when they get, like, teleported to different dimensions. It's really cool, and you can tell the difference, but the characters still appear very cute and soft Mm -hmm. with their palettes. And you don't see anything like this in Western comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, hu- co- comedy comics are gone. They don't exist anymore mm-hmm. in the West. Not even in Europe, where they do in the band Desnays very different content than American superhero companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't see humor there either. And I think that is an element missing from Western comics is humor. Yeah, honestly, when I pick up a manga and there's nothing funny in it, I tend to eventually drop it because I get bored. But there's, but there are good non-funny mm-hmm. manga, and we're going to talk about some of them on this list, mm-hmm. including at least one I know you like. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say also for those listening, we are talking a little bit about manga and anime interchangeably. Mm-hmm. However, the culture in the production of anime in Japan is to stay very close to the source material. Yeah, I... Yeah, I tend to get a little freaked out when I watch an anime and then I pick up the manga, and the manga's very different. It, and it happens very rarely. Uh-huh. In fact, something like Spy X Family, you can go a long, you can go a whole episode with it matching the manga exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, number eight, we're going to skip because it's One Piece, and if you like One Piece, you have shitty taste. Yes. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're just going to skip that. The next one, and remember these are franchises, is Jinjo, Junji Ito's horror books. Mm-hmm. Now, you said you weren't familiar with this, which surprises me because um, you're not a horror fan per se, but you do like true crime and do mm-hmm. like some horror. Mm-hmm. 
And he is, in many ways, the Stephen King of Japan. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that. Stephen King... They, they both rely on really big concepts that sometimes develop slowly over a story. Mm-hmm. Both of them use a very slow, methodical pacing to en- accomplish encroaching horror at times. Stephen King has done this with books like, um, I think it was called The Mist. I think it was The Mist, not The Fog. I think The Fog was a 50s horror movie. Um, but anyway, this encroaching mist that, you know, eats everything up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cell where all the cell phones go dead. There's one that I can't remember the title of, but I think it was Under the Dome, where a dome just cuts things off. Mm-hmm. Ito tends to be a little more... When his premises are introduced, they initially seem almost silly. Mm. Almost comical. Like, that's weird, but it's not something we'd be concerned about. And then it grows more and more horrific over time. Mm. Until by the end, you're like, oh my god. Yeah, don't if you are like me and you really feel stories, don't read Ito before bedtime. And I don't understand why people are shocked that horror is popular. Uh, I know that, for example, uh, Dark Horse, horror is an absolute staple of what they do. And supernatural with horror elements is a staple. Yeah, I just don't get why people are surprised. Horror has been a staple genre for decades. And it is popular in Western comics when it's done, but it is not done much. And on some level, I wonder if some of the publishers are, you know, have this cultural memory of when the House uh, Committee investigated comics and called out EC and other publishers of horror comics. And they're concerned about, you know, some Westboro Baptist bunch of psychos coming into a comic book store and going, See, they're selling horror comics to little kids! Meanwhile, everyone in the store is over 50. Right, exactly. (laughs) Except for like that one 25-year-old woman in the corner who's running a YouTube channel. And who's praying no one walks out to talk to her. Right. And if they do, that they actually treat her like a human being who's there because she likes comics instead of, you know, a foreign invasive species Mm -hmm. uh, to be hit upon. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've seen this happen in stores. It's sad, folks. And by the way, it really kind of ruins it for those of us that would like to hit on that girl in the comic store. Because we might have some mutual interest and ability to have conversations, not because she's seen as, you know, wandering into a foreign terrain where she's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, However, after already getting hit by a wave of, you know, the people who do not touch grass, Mm -hmm. uh, the rest of us, well, not that I ever leave my office anyway, but back in my pre-office days, um, it would have been nice to chat them up, but... You know, the opportunity is lost after uh, their other social encounters. Yeah. Uh, Number six, a superhero franchise, My Hero Academia. Which is the only real superhero manga I can think of. There have been others, but not many. Superheroes are one of the least popular genres. And honestly, when I first heard about it, if it wasn't for my friend who really loved it at the time, I would not have given it a try. I resisted for a long time. I resisted reading or watching it for a long, long time. I was not interested in a Japanese take on superheroes. And it was actually you that kept talking Mm -hmm. about it. 
And then finally I gave in, and I was glad I did. There is a lot more substance there. Now, for those unfamiliar, the premise is that it is a future world, uh, near future though, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe five, ten years in the future kind of thing, mm-hmm. pretty much right now. And everybody has powers, except for a small percentage of the population. Now, most people's powers are insignificant. You know, they can telekinetically pick up half an ounce Mm -hmm. and move it at a quarter mile an hour or something. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. But there's a scale. And some people are on the far end of the spectrum and have very, very high degrees of powers. Some people use these to become villains because they think it'll be awesome. While other people become adjuncts to the police force and get paid to act as superheroes and -hmm. stop these people. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, those who do it and do it with style often become very popular and pick up advertising gigs and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense to me Mm -hmm. that this is what would happen. And it's a well-thought-out universe. It's a well-built universe where... It makes sense for people to be out there acting as superheroes in costumes because there is financial incentive built into the social market for it. Yeah, and the thing about it, I really liked that it almost felt realistic. Like, if this actually happened, that would happen. Well, that's the great thing. And um, I'm a big believer in what I call literary verite, which is you can take any premise, no matter how extreme but so long as people act like real people, you can still invest in it. Mm-hmm. And because they all felt real and it felt like the real world, I got easily invested in the story and the characters. Right. Unlike, say, a superhero comic where Spider-Man and Superman don't feel real. Right. Although the best Spider-Man stories, he does feel real. Yeah. Superman, there are actually some Superman stories where he feels real, but they are far and few in between. Mm-hmm. The writers who accomplished those did really amazing versions. Um, I, I would recommend, for example, All-Star Superman mm-hmm. for a Superman story that feels a little more real. Anyway, the, these characters act real. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you hit it on the head. I think you hit it exactly on the head. So we have these characters who are young teenagers and at an elite school for superheroes. And yes, they're kids. Some of them act stupid. Some of them do stupid things. But look around us in the real world. There are kids who go to MIT at 12. Mm -hmm. There are kids who become K-pop stars at 14 and work their asses off. There is a small percentage of a population, even of children, who are capable of incredible focus Mm-hmm. And at least in some parts of their life, acting very mature. And that's what these kids are. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they're children. And they're children in a lot of ways. But some of them rise to other levels, especially when it comes to their goals. And we learn about their characters more and more as the story mm-hmm. goes on. And depth gets added, especially to a select cast that make up the sort of core heart of the show. The class A. Class A, I would argue there's a subset even of Class A there. Mm-hmm. You know, some characters continue just to be used for comic relief. Mm-hmm. but And some characters get a little bit of interaction, but not a lot. But then there's a group of about half the class that really we get to learn about their personalities and depth to them. Which is basically Deku's friend circle. Right. Although his friend circle expands as the show goes mm-hmm. on to include people who historically never had friends. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And their relationships become complicated mm -hmm. with a combination of, uh, of trying to excel past each other while in many cases supporting each other. And the threats then become very real. They are not allowed to really finish their time in school mm -hmm. because things in the real world happen that make them have to be adults early, mm -hmm. basically. And so it does very well at this characterization. And I think this is one of the places that manga is excelling over Western comics. If you pick up Spider-Man... And you're really enjoying the writer's Spider-Man. I hope he stays there a while. One day you may pick it up and go, this is what? Why is he whiny all of a sudden? Oh, the writer changed. Why did the writer change in the middle of a story? Yeah, see, the two things that bothered me the most is mid-writer change, because you can most of the time tell, and mid-art change. Yeah, but at least art change, you get a visual indicator. I mean, writer change can sneak up on you. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in manga. Mm-hmm. So, the next one, uh, I, I think you know this one better than I do. Juju, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. Kaisen, I think. I don't... Kaisen. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Now, I know it's set in contemporary Japan. I know that people talk about it as a dark fantasy. I know it has magical elements. I know it has something to do with a curse that gets bound in somebody. Again, these are familiar tropes. But I've not read it or watched an adaptation of it. I have not watched or read it. I know of it because it's everywhere on my social media. And I have a couple friends who watch it and quietly searched in group chats. Okay. And that's where my knowledge ends. So, number four, Attack on Titan. This is super, super popular. Yeah, the, and I have been cursed at for only watching one episode because of how big it is. It, it, it is a hyper-violent, sci-fi, fairly nihilistic story. And the premise sounds fun. My only issue is it's so popular, I know I'll be disappointed when I watch it. Yeah, it's gotten super, super hyped. Interestingly, I think with its nihilistic viewpoint, in a lot of ways, it has similarities to The Witcher. Mm -hmm. Not the Netflix adaptation, but the original stories. Yeah, which are very popular. Yeah. Uh, next up, two more violent titles, Chainsaw Man and Berserk. People like their violence. They do. And um, I've not read Chainsaw Man or Berserk. I know Chainsaw Man takes place with modern elements. Berserk takes place in a more sort of D&D &D fantasy world. Mm -hmm. If D&D &D was being played by murder hobos on meth. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and then number one is one that I do know a bit because I've read the manga and a little bit of the anime. But watched a little bit of the anime. Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer. And I know you like Demon Slayer. Mm -hmm. Now, it is another action-oriented, but has a protagonist that starts as a younger character and has to go through life uh, growing and developing as the series goes on and go from being having no you know combat ability to being 
an accomplished, powerful Demon Slayer. Yeah, Demon Slayer was an interesting one for me because I originally wasn't going to watch it for the same reason I haven't watched Attack on Titan. It's so popular, I know I was going to be disappointed. A friend really wanted me to watch it with him for the first time. I said, okay, fine, and I ended up really enjoying it still. And let's do a little bit of look at these titles. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we have one set in a fantasy world. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, two, Berserk and Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer is in a quasi-medieval Japan setting. Mm-hmm. They never really say if it's medieval Japan or a fantasy Japan. Um, but that's basically what it is. Yeah. They never feel a need to define that carefully. Which is fine. There are several set in the modern day with supernatural elements. I would include Junji Ito stories as well as Toilet Bound Hanako Kun in that. Definitely. Although very different stylings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have sci fi setting, Attack on Titan. Mm-hmm. Um, we have superhero, modern day setting, My Hero Academia. We have a Cold War comedy, Spy Ex- I mean, there's not a lot of consistency in these settings. Because they don't have to be. And we have one real, two comedies, really. Mm-hmm. And others have some comedic elements. Some of them do. I mean, My Hero Academia has some comedy in places. And get, but tends to slowly drop the comedy as the characters have to grow up. Right. And One Piece, I know, has some comedic elements. Um, again, not really going to talk about it. Yeah. Because it, it's awful. Yeah. And... Action is a fairly common part of this, although there's not a lot of physical action in Spy X Family. Yeah, which is why I was surprised that it did so well, because normally the top ones tend to be more shonen animes, because that's like the one genre everyone can agree. Everyone likes to see other people get hit. Right. And <laughs> and the idea that shonen... There, there are Westerners who take this too far. You know, in Japan, they call it shonen, you know, young boys comics. But the truth is, they're heavily read by females. Mm-hmm. I mean... I have a number of female acquaintances who read manga, and I don't know a single one who doesn't read shonen. Yeah, I just tend to use shonen as action manga or anime that's meant for a slightly younger audience. And I think I have one minor, minor disagreement with that phrasing, but I think that's how the Japanese use it. I think it's Westerners who don't understand who misuse it. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the word actually means young boys, I don't think the Japanese are confused. They call it uh, uh, shonen, but they know that it actually represents a genre, not an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my minor disagreement is about the younger audience. I mean, I do think that they orient it uh, uh, to make it available to younger readers. Well, that's kind of what I meant. I meant, meant to have phrased it poorly. But they're very popular with older teens and many adults as well. And they know that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what are your insights? What are the American companies doing wrong? What are they doing right, I think, is the greater question. Well, there seem to be a couple of issues here. You know, one of them is DC and Marvel, and to a lesser degree... Uh, Dark Horse, maybe, are very, very invested in their continuing properties. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of tainted in a way. I mean, I, I didn't like that Monkey Prince title from DC, but I think any chance they had 
of making it an interesting standalone mm-hmm. series was shot in the foot when they made reading it uh, dependent on Batman. Yeah. By including, you know, Batman, Robin, Robin as a major character with the protagonist at the school, and then the parents working for a bunch of Batman villains. I, But I do think they sort of went in the right direction of introducing a new non-established character. Well, I feel like they need to do that more. I mean, it was a shitty character, mm-hmm. but... But I agree with you. I think they do need to. And I and I will give them credit for attempting to improve representation with Asian characters. Although I think they did it in the laziest way possible. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, perhaps a little, you know, too Anglo-centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but it just still doesn't work. You know, because it's it's like they sat around and said, Okay. We are running out of blow. Now, we're going to publish this new series. We need money for blow. Well, you know, we got the monkey prince. And we don't think it's going to sell that well because it's a new character. So we may just have to lose money on it for a while while we try to establish something. Mm-hmm. Fuck that, Edgar. I don't get hookers and blow with good intentions. Drop Batman in that shit so the fanboys will buy it. Uh, sir, I thought we were trying to draw a new... Hookers and blow, Edgar! Pay some fucking attention in a meeting. And that's what I imagine happens, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, they start this process with... We're gonna add a new diverse... A a, a character that serves an underrepresented population. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna try to build them up as a new character independent... And you can start out bad and, you know, improve it better. But any chance of appealing is shot in the foot when you add all this background that people have to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, understanding the antagonism uh, between Batman and the parents is completely lost unless you know who the Penguin is and why they're working for the Penguin and, you know, these jokes. Mm-hmm. Which aren't actually funny jokes. I mean, that's another problem. When they try to do humor, it's it's so inside baseball humor, it doesn't actually count as funny. It's more like, ha ha ha, a reward for the hardcore geeks getting the joke, mm-hmm. getting the reference, not actual comedy. Which just confuses the rest of us when we don't get it. Right. So I do feel like Marvel and DC are headed, like Facebook again, uh, to their audience all being dead. Uh, The difference being is that I'll be sad if that happens with Marvel and DC, because I do think there's value in their properties and stories that can be told there. Facebook, frankly, I'll throw a fucking party when they declare bankruptcy. So, yeah, there we are. And, And I'll say the other thing, expense. Because the manga are collected in black and white and printed in small scale... You can go out and buy Tonko Bonds for 10 to 12 bucks. While the collected versions of the comics, uh, the, you know, trade paperbacks, are usually 20 to 25. Mm-hmm. And I don't know in this economy, in, you know, many, even adults, much less kids, walking around going, well, it's just double? What the hell? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, no. <laughs> 
So, yeah, I think those are the problems. You know, people talk about, oh, well, you know, it's the facing of the materials in the stores and manga gets better presentation. It gets better presentation because it sells better. And because it is better. This isn't the tail wagging the dog. The dog is wagging the tail here, folks. Uh-huh. Um, this is just people making excuses. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to call it here, and we're going to drop this one tomorrow on Monday. And we're going to be back on Thursday, dropping one talking about storytelling in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Again, a topic picked with the movies picked by Rowan. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Class is dismissed. Class is over, but before you leave your seats, we have one more teaching moment. New podcasts drop on Mondays and Thursdays. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tons of other platforms, as well as YouTube. Our hosting is at comicscourse.captivate.fm, which also has our RSS feed. If you want to find our website, TikTok, any of that other stuff, constantly updated list is at linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Prof Hamby.